Hello, listeners. This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from a, once again, hot and humid Florida Keys. It's beautiful down here. The wife and I went to the beach yesterday in Marathon, Florida. The only uh, I know, if I get any listeners here eventually, uh, a sizable amount of listeners have given away all their secrets. One of the the best beaches in the Florida Keys, Sombrero Beach, which is open to the public, uh, was hopping yesterday. When I say hopping, it wasn't a lot of people, but it was beautiful. It was uh, breezy, you know, like intermittent clouds, not too much. It's just a lovely day to go for a ride. This is what we do. We get up, we um, have a little late breakfast, take our time. With the daughter getting a little older, we don't, uh, sometimes we take her, sometimes not, you know, a teenager. She's not always in the mood to be hanging out with her parents, but we're watching a dog for a friend of ours, and she stayed home and watched the dog, so we couldn't, we didn't want to, uh, it's a, a, a white dog, a little white dog, a Maltese, and we didn't want to get it all, you know, put in the shade, and it's just too hot out there for a dog, but we had a wonderful time, and ate at a nice bayside restaurant called Porky's and went to Sweet Savannah's, an ice cream shop. But there's nothing like it when you're living in the Keys. You have to, you need a reminder every so often of the natural beauty that you're surrounded by. And, you know, you can go for a ride, you go and you get overseas highway, you see the azure blue uh, ocean on one side. I hesitate to pick another variety of color for the bay side, but it's you're surrounded by it. It's just beautiful. And uh, it's a nice, relaxing ride when it's not that crowded. And it seems like when the weather starts getting really nice, that's when it's the least crowded. We get a couple months ahead of us, uh, where we're really going to take advantage of it. We grab our chairs, we go down there, and we chill for a couple hours, and then we turn around and come back. So we had that. We had a nice weekend at the restaurant. Uh, mainly, you know, any vacationers are mainly people from Florida. We got some people from outside Florida. We ha- did have, was it late Saturday night, we had... Uh, later on Saturday night, we had some Norwegian people. I'm speculating they were Scandinavian or something like that. And one of them seemed to be getting ready for his trip to Valhalla because he was drinking like he was going to be dying. I mean, he first started, I forgot what he first had the first time. Well, they first started out with three of our drinks from our drink list. Keys teas, which is like a Long Island tea. Instead of triple sec, we put in key lime liqueur. That's the only difference. So then he went to a couple Patron shots, a couple Fireball shots, some Jägermeister shots, some, yeah, they weren't driving. Only one of the people were driving, and that person was done after they had, like, two drinks. And they were relatively close by. But the guy was mixing it up 
really, you know, if you ever had Jägermeister and then I, uh, kamikaze with lime juice, that kind of really doesn't mingle well in the party. It's like having a couple Israelis come show up at a, uh, a, a small gathering of Nazis. That's what it's like in your stomach when you mix the wrong shit together. And they were just, the guy seemed to be asking, he wanted, so he had tequila, he had fireball, which is kind of like a whiskey. And then, what else? The Jaeger, which is a mixture of some kind of weird botanicals from Germany. So vodka, and, you know, Russians and, and Russian vodka and German liqueur. There you go. Uh, and some American shots. And then throw in the Patron, little Mexican. I said to the guy, I said, well, he wanted another shot. I said, well, you know, if you're going to go all out, you might as well have some screwball peanut butter whiskey. That'll probably really go well inside that stomach, too. And they start out with a Keys tea with key lime liqueur and all the other ones, which is, you know, effectively a Long Island. It's just as your stomach becomes almost like a, a Petri dish. If you were a kid, you would take a bunch of chemicals and not think about what they're chemically, how chemically reactive they are with each other. But as adults, you think, well, I'll drink some sour stuff. I won't drink a lot of milk. Or I'm going to drink a lot of sour stuff and then I'm going to drink a lot of milk and see how that works out. So they didn't take my advice. I figured I said, if they're going to go through all that, you know, the screwball. And the guy said, no, no whiskey. I said, you're drinking fireball. That's almost whiskey. It's a liqueur, you know, cinnamon liqueur. But I think it's based on whiskey. Or should be. Well, like I said, most of the traffic we had in the restaurant were people from South Florida, some people from outside the region, and most of it came in, at least in the evenings, in the last hour. Last hour. It's weird. The sun's setting earlier, and we're getting later crowds. Like, everyone's again. I, I think we're, because right after Labor Day, we have other restaurants that shut down around us. I'd say fully almost a third shut down for the uh, season. You know, to give their people a little time off, to do some renovations and things like that. And that gives the rest of the places that are relatively well-known a nice little boost, too, since there's not a lot of traffic to go around. Once October rolls around and everyone's open, you get to see that. So now, this weekend, it could be even be a little slower because everyone's going to know that they're Restaurants are closed, and there's a little more shake, shaking out of people coming down to visit. But it's always an excellent time. I love going places where they're not too crowded. I don't really get the dynamic of going to a crowded place. Yes, there's a, a, a psychological boost to it when you see a place that's really crowded or oh, this is where everyone wants to be, so this must be the place I want to be. But there are drawbacks too. You're, you know, there's a crowd, 
So whatever you like to do will be inhibited by the numbers of people that are also demanding the same services and attention that you want. When you go to a place that's less crowded, you get a little more attention. You don't have to wait as long. And that's what, it was so nice going out, having you pick wherever you wanted to sit on the beach, sit at a table right next to the water, not have to wait uh, for a table. It's just wonderful. And they got deals, too. So, yeah, I sound like a senior citizen. No, and they got great deals, too. So, there's my words of advice for uh, people that want to come down. I wanted to move on to something else. I, I recently have become aware that, like many other people, I concentrate on the things I don't have sometimes and don't really, uh, we always hear, if you're into positive psychology, we always hear about gratif- uh, gratitude. I was going to say gratifying because gratifying could mean something else. You could gratify yourself and that's masturbation or anything like that, but I'm talking about gratitude, not gratifying yourself. And we, if we are uh, looking at Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, and the people with the biggest feeds are people with things interesting to show. They go to interesting places. They eat interesting places. They, they wear wonderful clothes. They travel in style, and and they have a big following. And you have all these people, and there are, there's Instagram and Facebook, and all these social media are clearing houses for people that have these lives that appear to be wonderful. Now I say appear to be. I'm not suggesting that their lives aren't wonderful, but they just appear to be wonderful. And we have a tendency, or I have a tendency to measure my life against what someone else is. So if someone is driving a Maserati, I wonder why I'm driving a Volkswagen. You know, how does that person, that person that much better than me, do they deserve that? Do Don't I deserve that? And that's not, maybe not the right question. Right? It's not whether the person deserves that. It's what, look at what I got. Look what I have. We're virtually, I do, do this at least once or twice a year. We're only a hundred and, gosh, 130, 140 years away from uh, having indoor plumbing. 140, 150 years ago. And having... Um, when I say indoor plumbing, I'm saying not having to go for some other place for water. Have to travel to a well outside the house. Have to travel to another building separate than your your direct domicile to use the bathroom. Having the ability to take a warm shower. Central healing, heating and central cooling. Um relatively being able to see 
get emergency services quickly, meaning go to emergency room, doctor, medicine. Medicine? Really wasn't much medicine. <coughs> there. Excuse me, I'm going to pause this show show for a moment while the dog freaks <coughs> out. That little dog you heard barking was Henry. So, as I was saying earlier, we're only uh, the central heating, meaning that the uh, Houses before, we don't have localized heatings where we have stoves and fireplaces and things like that. The last, let's say, 150 years. And that's in the, the, the best of homes, right? And you'd wake up and um, uh, 200 years ago, you did not have access to a hot shower unless you were in a you know, highest percentile of the elites. You, you'd wake up the cold water. You'd have to stoke the stove, get it started with a little kindling. Heat that up if you wanted to make anything, get some hot. It was usually cold grub in the morning. Making breakfast was a luxury for some people. It was you know, cold meats, still bread. Bread used to be a uh, thing you would buy once or twice a week. And most of the bread was pretty hard at the end of it, right before you bought your new stuff. A large share of people's incomes went into uh, their housing and their food. Forget about education and vacation. There was no vacations a couple hundred years ago. There was not. There were, I mean, there were some people, that, obviously there were some people that had vacations, but by and large for a majority of public, there wasn't a vacation. There wasn't a, poorer people didn't dine out. Poor people didn't dine out. Now we have fast food places specifically made for people with fixed budgets. The Golden Corral prides itself. I mean, the, even though I'm not, and I'm sorry if they advertise on this show, if it's one of the advertisers, but is not considered haute culinary cuisine, high cuisine. It's not. It's a trough of food where people can get unlimited amounts of food that's full of fat and salt to make you think that it tastes good. And you eat it, you pay one fixed price and get whatever you want. They didn't have those things. They didn't have your selection. They, they had whatever was on. You know, restaurants, restaurants were um, primarily, <coughs> excuse me, restaurants were primarily for travelers and things like that. It wasn't for people uh, except in the very biggest uh, uh, cities and for the, you know, the most elite, there was only a couple restaurants, really. It wasn't the things you see in stores. There were basic necessities out there. There were apothecaries, which was a drugstore. There was a bakery, right? And yeah, sometimes they, yeah, they sell cakes and donuts and stuff like that, but a lot of people didn't get that. You didn't have a disposable... Uh, part of your income wasn't for sweets. It was for the basic food stuff. 
Whole countries collapsed when their major crops failed. The Irish potato famine. That was when the fungus got into potatoes and destroyed the whole stock of almost predominant, the whole uh, stock of potatoes that people based a majority of caloric intake on of Ireland in the early 1800s, around the 1830s into the 40s. A lot of people starved and a lot of people emigrated from that. Nowadays, you have the option when a potato, when something happens here in the United States or someplace, there's a blight. You have the opportunity to ship food someplace or get replacement for other food. You got oatmeal. You got rice and beans. I mean, you never, food you never heard of before. Countries that were only till recently were net importers of foodstuffs become exporters. Some of the most hungriest countries you've heard about, China, India, when I was a kid, they're exporting food to other countries. And now, yes, there are famines going on, mainly famines because there are people that are living in third world countries that have, um, let's say, poor infrastructure uh, and a lower, much lower standard of living. But in countries like in Europe, they're, they're facing the winter. They're concerned about the winter being very cold because of the Russian-Ukrainian war. I haven't spoke about that in a while because obviously there's better resources to talk about that type of news. But uh, it gladdens my heart to say the Ukrainians are on the offensive and they're doing very well. But... That doesn't change the fact that Russia is a major supplier of oil and gas to Western Europe. And Western Europe's concerned that it's going to be a very cold winter. But, you know, in most wars and things like that, people ration things. They have the opportunity right now, Europe and stuff, to break the hole that the Russians have on their being their primary gas supply and oil supplier, they can start thinking alternative ways to get around this, or they can just be beholden to the Russians. But you really didn't have that option before. People had trees, and fortunately you had access, if you had I mean, trees, you had wood to use the fire, and then coal. But you had to have access to that. And once they stopped, if someone refused access to any fuel, or water, like the well, you'd, you'd starve. But right now, if you think about it, people can, the poorest of people go on vacations sometimes. Sometimes they go on vacations. I mean, and the middle class is larger than it's ever been. They always talk about the large, the widening gap between the very rich and the very poor. Um, I think the very poor have been very poor for a long time. The, the, the gap has gotten because the number of people that are very rich used to be a really small group. And it's like a group of people are garnering, or maybe there's so many people that it seems like a lot. Maybe there's only a couple million of the super rich out there. And then you have the upper class and all that down. And people always envying people at the top. They're always envying this one. Look at this house. This house is, has five different pools. It has a maid's quarter that has four rooms and five bathrooms. 
the needs quarter. Stuff. They always show these houses and how amazing they are. How comfortable would you be walking through a house? You know, where you have one room has, you know, 10,000 square feet in it. You know, 100 by 100. You have a room 100 by 100. What are you going to be doing with that space? Oh, I entertain a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Now you have a space that can fill with 200 people. I mean, it's just, you know, home, homes have gotten way bigger, way bigger than they need to be. They are. That's the long and short of it. I hate to call it that spade a spade. People are living in too big a places, and it takes too much of our resources to keep them heated and cooled. And people say, well, if they can afford it, I said, well, it's what we can afford is, is not what they pay. It's what we pay in the cost of extracting these fossil fuels. That's my suggestion right there. That's the big problem I have. But I can see people, you know, they're advertising. They have commercials for it. They're blatantly rubbing it sometimes into people's faces. You know, the people say that air travel has gotten very difficult because how small the seats have gotten. Now, air passenger travel, well, flight has only been around for a little over 100 years. A little over 100 years. And commercial flight may have followed a little after it, but really, it, it really didn't take hold until after World War II. So it's about 70 years. So yes, initially, it was pretty luxurious, any flight you took. You know, you had flight attendants, they called them stewardesses then. And they gave you all these sorts of amenities. You could smoke when you were flying. The chairs are pretty wide. I remember flying and still seeing the little um, ashtrays built into the armrest, which might, must have been a pain in the balls to empty those little, you know, people stuffing all their cigarettes in these tiny two-inch by one-inch ashtrays, and they had to pull them out and dump them after each flight. I assume they did, and then clean it out. But like I said, people are complaining about the flight, but only, it was only like 100 years before, or less than 100 years before, after World War II, where it took, it was a major, major life event to go from one coast of the United States to the other coast. To go across the United States would take months. And to travel by uh, boat would take the same amount, you know, or a little less. Maybe maybe two months. If you got off at the uh, Isthmus of Panama, took uh, some transportation cost, got another ship and went there. Yeah, you might you might get there. But nowadays, international flight. There's there's people are complaining about it taking twenty hours to get to India or Australia. Twenty four hours to get to Australia. It's a long flight. Well, it's nowhere near as long as it, it took to get there about 150 years ago. Nowhere near. 
And once you went there, unless you were doing it to fight a war or something like that, there was a good chance you weren't ever going to come back. I mean, not saying you're dying, you weren't going to be able to afford coming back. You were moving there. Same thing over here in the United States where people coming from Europe, they weren't coming over here and saying, I will be back, you know, telling their mama in Perugia, Italy, I'm going back to get some work. I'm going to coal mines in Western Pennsylvania and I'll be back. And he's saying it all in Italian. I'll be back next year to visit. No, they couldn't. They couldn't take the amount of time it would take to go and visit. It would take them, you know, take them a, a week, a week and a half. You know, maybe two weeks, two weeks to get across the ocean. And then, you know, it would, it, it would take you, it would be over a month of traveling by boat. And then, you know, you know, whatever time you spent there. <clears throat> So there wasn't even going visiting people in the old country. I have friends that work, uh, they're Mexican and they work in the business and they have their relatives to come and visit them from Mexico. Stay with them for a week or two. And they are not, I'd have to say, you know, economically they're lower middle class. But they have the option of having their relatives come and visit them. That never happened before. When some people left another country, they never saw that their family again or their town. And that's just a couple things. That's just a couple things. The idea of going on vacation. You can go to places and say, boy, I wish I could stay at a really nice place in Rome. You see these beautiful hotels and things like that. But you can still go to Rome. You can swing Rome. You can still swing Paris. Right now, it's it, it's only one hundredth of, let's say, a middle class person's income to get a round trip ticket from, to, from Miami to Madrid. Now, obviously, there's cost involved in you know, your stay and your transportation and stuff like that and food. But a one hundredth of your income, let's say it takes you another two hundred, so it'd be like a thirtieth of your income to go and visit a country you've never been to before. Well, let me tell you, back in the day, you'd be taking all your resources just to get a trip a one-way ticket and the shittiest accommodation on a rudimentary sailboat or steamship. You'd be in the steerage in the lowest portion of the ship with the least amount of amenities using almost all the resources it took you for a year to earn just to make it over here to get a subsistence income in the United States to live in the poorest of tenements in some of our most overcrowded cities. Yeah, I'm, I was focusing on the immigrants, but I'm just talking about even just thinking about the poorest of the poor people in the United States. 
Yeah, there's homeless people here. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I won't speculate that being living in a cabin in, let's say, the 1800s in Appalachia, let's say, someplace in West Virginia in the mountains. I would wager that the person who is homeless on the street here gets more hot food, access to running water. Obviously, there was no access to running water. It was just uh, streams and, and wells. And probably more access to showers and getting their clothes clean than the person that, that lived in a cabin in Appalachia. Now, is this compared to other people living in cabin, a cabin in Appalachia was definitely better than being homeless in Appalachia. I don't know what the homeless situation was like in colonial times. I don't think a lot of people really could get away with it back then, living on the streets with, you know, just getting food from people. There wasn't a large group of people to, to su supply them with food, the poorest. And actually, if you were poor in, let's say, Edwardian England, uh, pre-Victorian England, You'd be sent to a workhouse, which is pseudo like a prison, but they provide you with housing and food, and you'd be doing work in order to pay for your stay. And it usually was pretty hard, harsh work. So whenever we see people like uh, the very the very poorest in the poorest of countries, yes, it's hard and stuff like that. But to be poor in the United States today, to be poor, is probably in class with the amenities you have available to you with being in the upper middle class several hundred years ago. Being middle class in the United States affords you the luxury that virtually very few people had 200 years ago. The clean water, hot food, centralized heating, cooling. None of, they didn't have those. They didn't have a lot of those things. They didn't have the ease of travel. And actually, and they didn't have the, I mean, not that childbirth is safe nowadays. It's getting less safe considering laws are passing. Um, Medically, you know, you're, you're more likely to die from just having a child. So, to really be jealous of anybody. I mean, yes, people have a little bigger, bigger rooms, nicer cars, maybe more discerning palates and foods and drinks. And they go to different places surrounded by different people wearing different clothes. The things we have nowadays far exceed the things that anybody had. 
just the just the access to information that we have from 50, 60 years ago. Okay, pre-internet, 30 years ago, accessing information. It's, ama it's amazing. And there isn't a large gap between knowledge. There isn't a knowledge gap. If you really wanted to learn something, it wouldn't really be that impossible to learn it to get the information. It's right at your uh, fingertips. Sorry for the mumbling. Well, that's pretty much it for today. Trying to build a little gratitude for everyone. I appreciate you listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I will be back again tomorrow. Or, no, not tomorrow, Thursday. I know I promised that last week, but hmm, we'll see. Talk to you later. Bye.